Well, I, th- I felt like the the stay afloat was like that last trip, right? And where we were kind of getting some guys back on that trip. Uh, we played pretty good baseball at the end of that. We played pretty good at home. Uh, we got ourselves. I mean, it didn't. It seems like a few days ago we were a game out, right, uh, of the Mets, and and had a you know shot to to get back to five hundred. Um, lose. I, fe- I felt like we think lost that game. I'm not sure if that was the last game or next to last game at home. And then this trip has been a nightmare for us. Uh, you know, it happened with the injuries, but it's also happened with the losses. So the stay afloat was kind of like last trip and. And we've gotten uh, obviously another storm hit us, uh, you know, from that point on. And at this point, we haven't weathered it, right? And we've just got to know that there's sun out there, and keep fighting for it, and keep looking for it, and keep believing that it's there, right? And and really, again, I mean, I I just know it as a player, and I know it as a manager and a coach you've got to be able to put games behind you and move forward and, and come in here tomorrow with a good attitude, expecting to win, uh, knowing that we're capable of that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, back in Boston, even though I feel like I was just here. And he's Andre Fernandez back down in South Florida. Dre, how are you? I'm better than you, man. You need you have to be on a plane all the time. We've been over this. You're you're bouncing all over the country. I, I'm just sitting at home watching all watching all three of our teams in Florida, except for the other team in Florida, USF, getting getting the job done in college baseball. I'm here comfy. I, I got nothing to worry about. You're the one that's on the road. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I believe when I fly back on Tuesday to South Florida, unless something else happens that keeps me on the road, between connecting flights and everything throughout this road trip, it was seven flights over the span of 11 days. Look at that. So, you know, I'm racking up the miles, so at least I got that. The sad part is you you have more flights than the Marlins do wins right now, so that's the sad part of all of this. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) <laughs> and, and again, and of course, this is going to be airing on Tuesday. We're recording this before the Marlins make up game Monday against the Red Sox. And so just sum that up. They're seven and one on or one and seven, I should say. Wow. Did I, yeah, th- I, th- damn, did I throw you off that bad? You just, by, you by just threw me you off a little bit. Plus 24 flights this year, which I know you have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's about right. If not, I'm definitely going to get there before the All-Star. And Monday's so, results are not going to matter in that because you've got clear over 25 flights, I'm sure. Yeah. So, so but yeah, the Marlins have been 1-7 and seven on this road trip heading into the finale against the Red Sox, which is happening because their finale originally set for a week ago Sunday was postponed due to mm-hmm. just the completely awful weather that was happening in Fenway. Yeah. It's suddenly a 95 here now, so I doubt the game's going to be postponed unless we get a repeat of what happened in Chicago at Fenway during the playoffs in the wild card series. Don't, don't, even, don't even say it. Don't jinx it. You're fine. No, but anyway, uh, but the one thing is they're coming into this game not on a losing streak. They snapped the eight-game <laughs> losing streak Apparently. on Sunday. Sandy Alcantara threw eight strong innings. They got some work from Jesus Aguilar, got a little bit of luck on their side. But it doesn't overshadow what happened in the eight games prior. 
I mean, there was just you know, that entire combination of either the bad clutch, the bad hitting in the clutch when the bullpen was doing well, or getting the clutch hits when the bullpen wasn't wasn't living up to the high leverage situations. It just seemed like just like that first week of the season when they went one and six, everything that could have gone wrong or gone against, gone out of their favor, kind of did during that eight games, eight game stretch. Yeah, and again, I think you know we we talked about them staying afloat, and the 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 well finally broke right there. The bottom finally fell out, and you know I think it's it's attributed to some of the problems in the off season. I think they you know if they had maybe gotten a little more in terms of bullpen help, or even you know maybe you know not losing Geo would have helped as well in terms Definitely. of the rotation. But I mean, I think if they didn't maybe had put a little more into it in, in, in that sense, maybe would it be different oh, drastically? Maybe not, but that could have helped a little bit, but look, I mean, this, this team isn't this bad, but at the same time, I think realistically you look at them and that's why, you know, at least I thought going into the year, the hope was, can they continue to be competitive? Can they continue to build and be better? You know, you're coming off a playoff year that, you know, happened in a 60 game format. You know, now it's back to reality. It's a 162 games season. And it's, you know, this, the franchise as a whole is building towards something big down the road, but they're not there yet. You know, and anyone that, you know, over, you know, thought too much of this team, I think, you know, is starting to see what realistically can happen, especially when you're looking at the problem that they have burning those arms, you know, and, and right now, you know, it's over and over. We, it's been, you know, beating to death how much, but it's the, but it's the fact that this team, but now the arms are getting taxed left and right. I mean, you know, if you look at the situation now, like even today, you know, the tweets go out about Pablo and you're thinking, Oh my God, now what? But luckily it wasn't that it's that they're giving him extra rest. They have to do stuff like that because you know, you're going to burn your arms. I mean, same as like the Rays, they're doing the same thing with glass. Now who's pitched like 80, 77 innings so far, you got to manage that, but they've, They've just run out of options. I mean, it's constant bullpen days, Monday, another one. You know, this team, you know, the good news that a guy like Aguilar might be heating up. I mean, even then, at this point in the season, barring them flipping that completely and suddenly winning seven out of eight to put themselves back where they were, that's it. Like, this is what they're going to be the rest of the year. And then you start to wonder, like, guys like Aguilar that are playing well, where does that come in in terms of trade value to keep adding pieces, to keep adding good prospects, you know, potentially to keep deepening the system the way they already have and, and with an eye toward the future. And, you know, I know Kim Ang was down on the farm, you know, checking out some of the guys this week. I mean, they're again, it's still the long term with this team. I'm not saying it, it, it can still happen for them, but I think to realistically think that 2021 was a year where it suddenly took rocketed off completely a little too soon probably and it's starting to show yeah and we've talked about that since last year when the outbreak when COVID happened and everything got shut down the minor league season got canceled that the year of development that 2020 was supposed to have got shifted over to 2021 yeah. so now that just delayed everything else a year so now it's looking to 2022 as the okay this should be the year where things start going and again the reality check is needed and also, again, with Jesus Aguilar getting hot, one bat isn't going to fix this lineup, especially with 
especially not until you get Brian Anderson back. Even him, he's still been struggling until you get Miguel Rojas back, until you start getting the rest of these pieces, until you start seeing what they do. Like you said, in July, when the trade deadline does hit and they see where they're at and you start, you potentially see an outfield that could potentially be three consecutive rookies. That could be three rookies completely out there. But here's the issue. By the time Brian does get back, by the time Miggy does get back, where are they going to be? By that point, are they 15, 20, 25 under? I mean, then then it doesn't matter. Then then yeah. then you got to look at the future. You got to look at making the best out of the trade deadline. You know, use the pieces, use the value you have with all the pieces, the veteran pieces that you can barter with right now. And and again, try to just keep going forward. I mean, some of the alarming stuff is also like when you hear Sixto as a setback. He hasn't even been on the field. A guy who's, you know, a guy we thought was going to be a rookie of the year, you know, carryover candidate this year and and coming off that amazing finish last year. And it hasn't happened. You know, and now we're excited about Edward Cabrera throwing 98 mile per hour fastballs, and that's great. But let's see him after two, three starts down there. Is he healthy? Is his arm okay? And can he come up and finally make his debut? There's a lot of, you know, they're in a, they're in a very tough spot right now in, in terms of where they're at short term and long term. And, you know, they're coming home at least and they're playing the Rockies. But again, they just lost three out of four to the Pirates. So competition to me doesn't matter right now. It's it's what they can do piecing together this team. Yeah, you mentioned Edward Cabrera. He threw three innings in a rehab start with Class A Jupiter. It was his first game in that where the official stats are actually going to be recorded with an official affiliate since the end of that 2019 season. Remember, there was no minor league season in 2020. He had a shoulder injury that set him back during that time while he was at the alternate training site that basically stopped him from making his MLB debut. Uh, He's expected to throw another one on Saturday, which just going with the natural progression through three innings on Sunday. So he should go to four innings. And then no matter what, he's going to have to go most likely to AAA beforehand before coming up here because there's no way they're going to just rush him up there and – on the mental side of if things go wrong early, just having that mental part of his game get affected early. And yeah. to just quickly round up the other injury, Six still had the setback. He hasn't been back pitching as far as we've been given updates on. And are the Marlins ever going to have five healthy stars at the same time? I mean, Eliezer Hernandez comes back from the 60-day IL. He's on the base. He gets a hit. He throws five strong innings and then injures his – then he gets the injury running from third to home. Right. Cody Poteet injures his MCL with his cleat getting stuck in the mound while he's throwing a warm-up pitch after a review. It's just it seems like the second they finally get back to looking like they could be at an actual five-person rotation, they're now back to where they've been all season to back down to the regular three guys. Maybe maybe by August, maybe by September. And by then again. Is it going to matter that it's not going to matter in, in terms of the standings? Wait, but. What day's opening day? When is opening day for 2022? I think you might be just looking right there. Right <laughs> yeah, now. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can't even, you don't even have the old expanded September call ups anymore. You know oh. what I mean? So, yeah, it's again, it's has the season been lost? I mean, I'm sorry to party poop on whoever's hoping there's still going to be a, a drastic 10 game turnaround, but I'd, I'm going to wait to see it because. 
I think this team is back in look at the future mode and, and, and this is, and not necessarily a bad thing. They have some good, like, again, like I said before, they have good veteran pieces that they could probably turn around into something to, to, to fortify that depth. And then we continue to talk about prospects. I mean, and another thing is look what it took just to snap the losing streak, which was a good sign. Look, Sandy, all the credit to him, the eight inning start again, eight inning starts aren't becoming that rare for him anymore. And it just shows you how how well of a, how good of a pitcher he's turning into to front line a rotation like that. You know, massive props to him and the way he's developed. Again, it's like the one trade that you look at now and you think to yourself, "Wow!" Out of all those trades back then, they really are reaping the benefits. You know, seeing what he's turned into. But it takes that to to get him off the schneid. You know what I mean? And to get going in the right direction and let's see if they can do it you know again again a very good red sox team on the road another another trip that's kind of in the way when you're trying to get home after a long roadie like this yeah and to touch on sandy a little bit more because again he is basically the most indispensable guy they have on their roster right now between just what he gives them every five days when he starts again he's thrown 79 innings which heading into monday is tied for fifth in baseball yeah. And it's only three innings or three and two thirds below Zach Greinke, who leads the league with 82 and two thirds. Yeah. That's even more than Glass yeah. now that I just told they had 77 and they're trying to rest him, find him a few days off. They're going to have to do the same with Sandy at some point. Yeah. They're going to do the same with Sandy. Some point they've been doing it a lot with Pablo. He's been the beneficiary of getting that extra day. The most out of this group, Mel Steinmeier <laughs> Jr. Mentioned that, they want to shut Trevor Rogers down at 1.4, a 10 day span around the all-star break, which basically, and then once the all-star, once they come back from the second half of the season, Rogers is going to be the fifth guy because okay. they already know with where his innings are. Right. And despite how great he has been pitching, they also know this is his first full season. He only made seven starts last season in that shortened year. Right. And they're it's- trying to make sure he doesn't break, which has been a, focal point all year but they've also had that balancing act of they only have three starters and they can rely on to go six seven innings at a time and not have to blow up their bullpen when they're gonna have to blow up their bullpen two of the other five starts and now that they're in the state they're in now this is these are the kind of decisions that you look at and they have to be done because you have to think in that long term yeah it's ridiculous to think rogers was going to go you know, even 180, something like that. Like this is a guy that's still developing and they, and that goes for a lot of their arms right now. I mean, and that's, again, the problem is that you're trying to, you know, not now he's now uh, Mel was talking about seeking outside help. That's not that easy either because yeah, there's bodies out there, but you know, not a lot of good ones available on the, on the free agent market right now. I mean, you're just looking for guys to eat up innings. Yeah. But you know, you can bring in a guy that's going to pitch you, you know, four and a third, but if he's going to give up eight, yeah, not much you're getting help with there. So that's what I mean. I mean, it's, it's a shame. Unless, you know. unless they find the route where they're able to swing a trade, start the trade early with somebody from the outfield, give it to somebody who's in contention, needs a bat, maybe has a younger guy that's their four or five that, or a prospect who's right on the cusp and, yeah, start, start that flipping early. But the delicate balance again there of you have to get a guy that you know would fit into your exactly. or you hope would fit into your long term plan as well. So that's also, you know, something to look at. But you're right, maybe a guy who's not, who has pitched a little bit already, but maybe he's like you know like a mid someone good in their like you know mid twenties maybe that has some upside left. But that's not that easy to find either. So we'll see. 
Yeah, and on that note, we're going to finish the first half of this segment. We got to talk with Mel Stoudemire Jr. for about 25 minutes when we were in Pittsburgh. He covered a lot of these topics that we've been discussing. So I'm going to have a few of his sound bites play to close this out. Uh, the first one is on him. I asked him about just the delicate balance of him wanting the starters to have the mentality to go nine every time, but also him knowing that he's going to take them out after six or seven sometimes, which they have done already this season, and just how they make sure that the players physically, mentally don't get don't get impacted by the fact that it's like, yeah, we want you to go nine, but we're taking you out after seven. So here's how Mel responded to that. Well, I think it's been a balanced balance on both sides. Uh, you know, trying to to manage our three horses innings and knowing where they've been, where they've come from, you know, from an inning and a workload standpoint. Uh, and still trying to win games. And we know it's a long season. You know, it's it's crucial, it's vital that we keep Pablo Lopez healthy and that we manage Trevor Rogers' innings and his workload, you know, while he goes out and tries to win games. This is something I don't talk to our guys about because, you know, it's I want them to have the mindset that when they show up, and it's their time to take the ball every five days that they're pushing to go nine innings. And so I don't want that part to go away, but we have to manage that. You know, the, the bullpen part, it's, uh, we, we've been forced and we've kept ourselves in a lot of games. We haven't always won them, but early in the season, you know, really up to the last 10 days or so, it's really been our bullpen that has uh, done the job throughout the entire bullpen. You know, we've used our entire bullpen, and they've all pitched in some different roles, and they've done a great job. You know, as of late, trying to patch uh, starters together, uh, shortening outings, having injuries, and having to go, go to guys earlier and run them harder and ask them to come back on shorter rest, it's taken a toll. So what happens is stuff goes down a little bit. They make, you know, a few more mistakes. And then, you know, the biggest part of my job is to try to keep them out of the think tank and to stay positive, you know, because it can't turn around. We can a couple good games from our starters and get back on track, get our back, back end of our bullpen doing what they've been doing, and uh, things can turn. So I'm just I'm trying to keep these guys positive right now. And the, uh, to tack on level, you said the you want the pitchers to have the mentality of going nine, but is there a sort of double-edged sword where you have like a Pablo Lopez who throws 80-some pitches in seven innings and then you take him out as that precaution? Do you, when you want them to have the mentality, but then you know you still have to take him out early, do you see anything from them when situations like that arise? Yeah, absolutely. They're pissed off. And, you know, I don't blame them. It's, uh, you know, go, go take a look at Sandy Alcantara every time he pitches, whether it's a sixth inning and, and 100 pitches or, you know, last game he, he questioned he was down four to one, and I think he threw 90 pitches. You know, in his mind he wasn't done. So I, I, what I do know is if we lean and we push, 
and we meet their thresholds and we empty their tank every game, I'm going to have to, and I think we are going to have to answer some different questions uh, when we get just past past All-Star break. And so it is, you know, it's a big responsibility on our part, and it takes some discipline to, uh, to have to stick to the game plan. And again, you know, we are trying to win games. But uh, come September, you know, we they need to have a little fuel in the tank. And so if we don't take a little bit of precaution early, they're not going to have that. And I would like to think, and I am planning on still making a playoff run in September. So uh, it is a double-edged sword. It's, it's a tough. It's tough being in our spot, too, and, and have to answer those questions, not only both to the players, but you know, to the, to the fan base. And then here's Mel also explaining just how he's watching and their evaluation process between finding, trying to bring up prospects and also the, what Andre alluded to earlier about the potential of exploring outside help to make sure that they're letting guys develop and not bringing up guys for the sake of bringing them up. Well, you know, Kim travels with us, and, and I'm sure you guys have noticed that. She's around often, so we talk nicely. And I'm certainly not going to get the phone, pick up the phone and call Derek. You know, he's got other things to worry about. But, uh, you know, and Donnie and I talk. It, it's Look, it's not ideal running this, this bullpen into the ground. It certainly isn't. You know, and how can we give them some breaks? Well, we're trying to win some ball games right now. There's been some things that have been out of our hands and we haven't been able to control. So we do want five starters. If you look deep down in, into our organization, you know, Braxton's starting to throw the ball good. And we've been very sensitive into the timing of, you know, when those guys are ready. We certainly don't want to bring a younger guy up when they're not capable or when they're not ready to go through what they're going to go through here. You know, it's, we, we talked about last night, uh, about going outside the organization and seeing what's available and out there. And that's, that's not my job, but they know how Donnie and I feel in trying to patch and hold this thing together and, and not bring the wrong guy up to where he can't handle some things and we do some long-term damage. So it's, uh, I know that Dan and, and Kim, and I'm sure they're talking with Derek that they're going to be exploring some other options to try to uh, to lengthen and, and, you know, create some depth there to try to help us get through these patches right now. So uh, you're probably going to see some other guys come up uh, in the very near future that are going to try to, to, to help us patch things together. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And then for the second half of the show, just as we've done the last month, we're going to do some prospect talking. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Uh, minor league talk this week, it's going to be heavily focused on AA Pensacola, primarily because Marlins general manager Kim Mang went down to AA Saturday and Sunday, get a little bit of a taste of what their prospects are looking like there and to start this little tour of trying to get her eyes on the prospects, some of whom she saw 
a little bit in spring training. And then as she gets to some of the other places, if she makes trips to Jupiter, makes some trips to Beloit, some guys that she hasn't seen yet. But Saturday and Sunday were fittingly the best two days she could have gone there because Max Meyer pitched Saturday, Jake Eater pitched Sunday, two of the pitching prospects who have had the most success in the minors so far for the Marlins. And they both lived up to the billing that they've been doing so far this year. Uh, Max, and he threw six innings. That's a career long for him since since making his Pro Bowl debut. Uh, he held the Mississippi Braves, Atlanta's double-A affiliate to one run on three hits and a walk. He struck out nine. The run came on a solo home run to lead off third, and then he retired 12 of the final 15. Uh, through six starts, Max is at a 1.86 ERA with 31 strikeouts against just nine walks over 29 innings. And five of the six runs he gave up came in his second start. He's only allowed one run since then. And then Jake Eater, he threw five perfect innings, 15 up, 15 down. But the Marlins still aren't having him go past that fifth inning mark yet, which is interesting to see what they do with him at that point. Because, I mean, he only threw about 60-some pitches on Sunday, and he's thrown up to about 90 at this point in the season. So it's once he's able to get past that fifth inning barrier and the Marlins start letting him letting him loose into the sixth and potentially further, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out when he goes through a lineup the third time. Right. Yeah, and that, and that's the whole thing with him is consistency and being able to go deeper into games. I mean, at the college level, you know, we talked about it, how he was very good at times, but other times struggled a lot with, you know, with command. So it's good to see the signs that he, that he's showing out there. The curveball looks good. You know, the velo's there for him and it's been, you know, not too many walks, which you like to see. And from both guys too. I mean, Meyer, it's what you hoped. It's what you hoped. He's showing those signs of, of being a dominant type of rotation piece, you know, like he has so far. I think it's good. It's a big year for both of them, but I think especially, you know, I think Meyer, it's a big year because you see what he can do at double A. He's maybe possibly building toward a move up later on in the season. I mean, you know, perhaps the, you know, maybe they'll give him a shot at triple A, but then this year making up for lost development time and bridging toward next year, potentially making his major league debut and coming up and maybe even, finding himself a spot in that rotation is what you hope for that by 2022, a guy like that is ready to go and, and can come up there. Good eater. Let's see, uh, you know, you still want to see what he turns out to be. Is he a rotation guy or is he a bullpen piece? But the, just the pitching itself, the pitching signs there are good so far, but you want to see him have more on the side of those lower pitches when he's going five innings, then you, then, you know, 89 pitch out, outings in five is, Obviously, that's not a lot. So, I mean, it's not a lot in terms of like lasting long enough in the games. So, you want to see him continue to, to be efficient and build up that part of it as well. Yeah. And then on the position player side, uh, JJ Blade, he was off to a bit of a rough start to the double A season. Uh, first month of the year, he had a 141 batting average, he had 30 strikeouts compared to a combined 29 hits and walks. Uh, but last week, finally started to show some steps in the right direction. He went seven for 22 in the six games against the Mississippi Braves. He had a five-game hit streak to start it and then went 0 for 4 on Sunday. But of those seven hits, he had two doubles. He had two home runs, including a go-ahead home run that hit the scoreboard in center in 
in Pensacola on Saturday when Kim was there. And drove in five runs, scored three times, drew a pair of walks, and only struck out three times over the six games. He, he always picks the right time to impress Marlins execs, doesn't he? He really does. I mean, five for five. Now he's hitting a scoreboard in front of Kim. I mean, you know, it's like he knows. He gets the tip right before he knows. He's like, hey, big day today. Um, but, yeah, no, it's good to see J.J. That's the thing. He wanted to be that guy that can hit consistently, make good, good hard contact, and it looks like it's starting to happen. I mean, this was a power guy at Vanderbilt. I mean, we saw it. And, and, you know, again, it's just a matter of consistency. And we can continue to do that, hit the ball well. I mean, I, I like the fact that he's, you know, progressing a little bit toward – it's similar, like I said, with Meyer in terms of the pitching, him on the hitting side. You want to see that progression bridging toward a possible debut soon, you know, maybe even like a stable spot by next season out there in, in the Marlins outfield. And speaking of outfield – you know, Victor Mesa Jr. Yeah. continues to rake over uh, there too. So you can't, you know, you can't say enough what he's doing right now as a good start to this season. He's another guy that's in line potentially to get moved up. You know, if he continues to show these these positive signs, and you know, Nasim Nunez, that's good to see because remember that's the one question mark. He's got all the other skills, all the other tools, but if he can consistently make contact as well and hit the ball well, that was the one thing that people were always wondering, can he do that eventually at the next level? So a good week for him and something to build on. Yeah, and you touched on them making the call up. Hopefully they hold it off for at least a week because this next week I'm getting some time off from the big league club. David Wilson will be at, the, will be at Lone Depot Park Tuesday through Friday. Yeah, Tuesday through Friday, and I'm going to be making a couple of stops up to Jupiter to start start making my rounds with guys and want to see some Victor Mason Jr., want to see some Nassim Nunez. And on the pitching side, um, excited to see Yuri Perez and uh, Dax Bolton, Dax being the second-round pick from last year's draft, who's finally starting to turn around after a few slow starts after a year removed from Tommy John. So trying to get a look at some of the younger guys, the guys who are a few years away, but at least get a taste of what the future could look like. And to go specifically into the numbers, Victor Mason Jr., he went 9 for 23 with three doubles and six ribbies last week. Uh, Nassim Nunez going four, hitting 444, 12 for 27, and stealing another four bases to, to get him up to 19 on the year. Yeah, it was all fours for him. 444, four stolen bases, four runs scored, and four RBI. That four numbers, I guess, is lucky for the scene this year. And then yeah. a couple of the guys in the up the middle levels, uh, Will Bamfield, again, he's really starting to find it with the bat, which has been a priority point. He had a 1233 OPS last week. We we talked about him the week before as well. Had another home run, another five RBI, only two strikeouts. And then to continue with the outfielders, you have Cameron Meisner and Griffin Cohen, I both eat both hit two home runs for Beloit last week as well. So you're starting to see a lot of that development with the outfielders, which, again, between having that depth is good, but also potentially having that overabundance could work in the Marlins' favor at some point come the end of July as well. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. That's definitely it's going to come into those last two months this year if they want to try out some of these guys at the major league level, especially after the trade deadline, if, if you move some pieces from that outfield, you're going to clear up some spots and then it could be a chance for, you know, one or more guys to potentially get their first taste. But 
you know, that, that's all I mentioned before about Blade that I like the fact, even if that did, let's say they wanted to do that, but you're looking at 2022 as a potential uh, real starting point to see these guys really settle in and, and, and really get their first real taste, long-term taste of the majors. If they're ready by then, if they continue to develop well, you know, obviously without rushing anybody, but you want to see the progression naturally happen with them. And then going back to the infield, a guy who I think is very, you know, again, a guy I think is going to, you're going to see him sooner than later is Lewin Diaz. Yeah. Another three home runs for AAA, you know, but also the 325 batting average, eight for 25, putting up some consistent numbers, not just, not just the home runs, but making contact consistently. That's definitely a good sign. Yeah. And a couple more topics to discuss before we wrap up today's show. First off, Got to give congratulations to Eddie Alvarez and Team USA Baseball. They clinched their spot for the Olympic Games, Eddie, yep. which means Eddie Alvarez is going to, assuming he is on the roster and everything still goes well between now and when the games start in about a month and a half, yeah. Eddie Alvarez is going to be a two-time Olympian in once in the winter games, once in the summer games. Just an incredible feat for him. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, when do you ever hear a story like that? I don't know if we may ever see such a unique combo of, you know, having a, a winter Olympian, winter silver medalist, speed skating, two completely different sports, baseball and speed skating. We've said it a bunch of times. I mean, tremendous, tremendous story and, and real feel good story, too. And and yeah, and not easy. You know, the, some of the wins the USA team had are against some some pretty good baseball powerhouses beating Venezuela beating the Dominican you know good good to see for the for USA baseball yeah and then also there are also the other two local guys John Jay and Tristan Casas and then also University Mm -hmm. of Florida alum and catcher Mark Colsavari who's in the Reds organization I got to cover him for a couple years up at UF and I'm honestly surprised and on and really happy for Colo he was one of the one of of the better guys I had a chance to to cover over three years, even though he was essentially UF's number three catcher because of just the depth they always have up there. But to see him starting to make that turn and start to make the strides and to be in that position, that's just, that's one of those, that's one of those cool storylines also. Definitely fantastic to see. And, and, you know, hopefully team USA can keep it going with however, however the roster looks in a month and a half. And then to close out the show, Andre, you put it out on Twitter Monday. So <laughs> some congratulations. Not, gators, right not, not your Gators, though. Uh, not to my Gators, but personally for you, this is some really great stuff. So you want to just go ahead? Yeah, I'm going to be um, – I, I, I think I'm still going to be on the show with you um, from the looks of at least next week for sure and going forward. But I will now – I'm heading up to Tallahassee to cover the Florida state Seminoles for the Tallahassee Democrat starting next week. And, you know, probably moving up there by the end of the month, beginning of next month. So, you know, really, really happy for this chance, really happy for the opportunity. And, you know, it was a tough year at times, you know, being, being technically being unemployed, but I wasn't totally unemployed. And a lot of the thanks goes to, you know, Alex Mena at the Herald and, and, and you, Jordan, because you were a big supporter of mine and, and always trying to get me when we got together to do this show consistently and also, you know, in writing, getting a lot of help, a lot of work that really helped during during that time. So I appreciate you guys for sure uh, being in my corner always. 
Yeah, and I just I want to just talk a little bit about my relationship with Dre. When back when I was an intern in twenty summer twenty sixteen, my first assignment was working the All County Breakfast with you, yeah. and we were you were the first of my colleagues coworkers that got to meet in person, got to interact with, and then once you moved on to the athletic and I moved on to the Marlins beat with the Herald after Clark, reti- Clark Spencer retired, just that year in 2019 just became just our bond. Our friendship just grew from there. And it's been incredible being able to be close to you over these last five years now. And I'm just, I know everything you went through last year with everything that happened with the athletic and all that. And I'm just, I'm really happy that everything is working out for you because no one else, no one deserves better. Thanks, man. No, it means a lot, man. I appreciate it. And, and like I said, hopefully, I can, hopefully we can still do this and, and uh, I'll be, I'll be upset at you if you don't call me and you go to a Pensacola blue Wahoos game and I have, and I have enough time to get away from the Knolls for a minute to, to head out there, especially if it's mullet oh, night. No, we're going on mullet night. I will make sure that we are, re- <laughs> we will be in Pensacola on a Thursday for mullet night. We will yeah. make that happen at some point. I have to yeah. make a stop in Pensacola. I'd make a stop in Jacksonville. You're sort of that middleman in there right now. Yeah. 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 So, it's drivable. Yeah. Yes. On the North end. So, so we are definitely going to make that happen. And on that note, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thanks again for listening. As always, I'm Jordan Pearson. He's Andre Fernandez. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>